0: Welcome back to the great spirit show in (laughs) Hobart,
1: Tasmania. Rankings just coming through. What
0: are they? The world, the universe, Scandinavia.
2: I told you. I have a friend who tells me we're the number one podcast uh, in Scandinavia.
0: Very, very big at the moment in the Oval Office, I'm told. (laughs) When he's not playing golf, uh, ex President Trump loves to tune in to the Tassie Sport Lounge. Here we are. Uh, Once again, we had a huge show planned. It seems to be our theme. Uh, we had the Premier. He was ready to go with us. Uh, he'd committed. Oldie, uh, that was your organised.
1: Yeah, along with Michael Jordan. We're all <laughs> on too. i
0: <laughs> I'm just saying that you've organised a couple that haven't turned up. I, I, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, I will take the whack for this one, but the Premier has committed to being on the next one. Uh, 100% he was actually looking forward to talking a bit of footy with us. So he will be on the next show, I promise you.
0: That's great. <laughs> footy yeah. look, look, uh, otherwise we
1: won't be doing this podcast ever again
0: yeah. uh, It won't just be footy it will be footy cricket basketball he's got so much to talk about we will be catching up with uh, nicole frayne though who is an absolute gun of a cyclist It's got a really interesting story how she got into road cycling and also smithy you've organized the winner of a lacquer zeljack i think i've pronounced it right i can't you've sp-
3: got to be more fluent than that i zeljack like Can yes. you spell it though yeah, it's got a K and a think J think and an S and, an S and the Z. <laughs> Sorry, I, I think you're
1: pretty safe to put most letters in.
2: Yes, we do. Yeah, the our coach uh, is coming in, James Sherman. So Glenorchy, with a big win last weekend, have uh, moved ahead uh, of Olympia for the most titles ever in the lack like of jelly <laughs> Cup, however we're going to pronounce it. I know,
0: I know people will think, oh, come on, you can do your prep. But it is one of those ones that's a little bit tough to get out. So you have a go at it yourself, everybody. Lack a cup. Okay, let's the look at what's camp. happening in sport lately. Obviously, one thing that's been happening is AFL trades. What a weird, weird trade year.
3: What a slow time. I feel like we've just been staring yeah. at a TV wondering when something's actually going to happen.
0: Let's call it though. There are so many players who thought they were there in the middle of the club. Everyone loved them. Next minute they say, you're mate, out. you're out. Trelaw. How do we read Trelaw? Aldi. what do you make of it?
1: Uh very interesting. There's a there's got to be something behind the scenes there. But when a bloke signs so a five can. year contract and then you're you're a year into it and then you're let's say pushed out the door. And and I think I read somewhere the other day, didn't say so where it talked about them saying they didn't think he'd get the best out of himself with his wife than Shane Nepal in Queensland. And then I saw someone come out saying if that's the case it's discrimination or it like that could be le- I mean, it, it opens a Pandora's box for I mean, footy clubs have always been, um, or players have always been, let's say, reasonably disloyal in relation to us about getting a better contract. But it, it really is now. Let's call it open warfare between players and clubs. There is, it is pointless signing a long term contract because, in the end, players will get to the point where they will sign one year contracts, and every year they'll just put make clubs well, up the money, or they'll, or they'll go, they won't sign long term contracts. Well,
0: this one's a really interesting one because what what uh, Collingwood apparently did was ask him to back end his contract so they could get big dibs on. Grundy and a couple of others to re-sign them. So he's taken, um, he's taken a hit the last couple of years. So he's heavily back-ended. And now when he's back-ended, they say it's affecting their salary cap. I mean, that's just mismanagement of their cap, isn't
3: it? Completely. And they're trying to blame it on his family scenario with his oh. wife, young child, who's less than a year old. She's going to play professional netball in Queensland. And he's still not looking for a club in Queensland. He's still saying he's going to a Victorian club. So it just completely. Doesn't make any completely. sense. That he's going to stay in Vic anyway, and and they're going, and Collingwood is saying, oh, well, we're supporting him to. to you know be with his family in Queensland just it doesn't see right
2: but it's not just him you've got Jaden Stevenson as well who i think they're Weird. shopping around might might be going to north melbourne um and uh who was the other one there was the third one. uh phillips as well yeah, tom was phillips. it was tom phillips yeah. so they're three pretty handy players so just does, trying to shed them does the list manager have to come under some fire he's here got to go for the go away, that he? they're uh, doing their contracts because as you say they've obviously got themselves into a bit of a salary cap trouble and now they're trying to get it out of it. Smitty,
1: you must have is there more Is – I've also read in media that there's internal rumblings. There's got to be more going on in the club than that, surely. They, they're just The murmings I'm hearing is, is there's a bit of trouble in Collingwood. Do you, reckon, do you reckon we're getting close to the point where Eddie's – and I'm not a non-Eddie fan. I actually think he's done an unbelievable job. Do you think Eddie's been there too long?
2: I thought that probably five years ago. <laughs> but only because you see him everywhere. But, um, yeah, look, potentially I suppose you see a lot of – a lot of presidents and CEOs probably have their, their lifespan at some point, don't they? Have so. you heard the rumour? So
0: he's, he's left uh, hot breakfast with Triple M. That's uh, done. And there's been speculation that he will leave as president because they're, they're getting him ready to be an AFL commissioner. So that's one little rumour that's going around at the moment. So that'll be quite fascinating if that happens. Uh, one good thing that came out of trade, Ben Brown, Jazzy boy who I absolutely love. He's an absolute ripper of a bloke. Had a lot to do with him when I was working with Triple M. Uh, And he's going to Melbourne and what a great result that is. Speaking of (laughs) promising and not delivering, didn't you
3: uh, promise to bring him on the podcast today? (laughs)
0: I did. Uh, Sorry, Benny Brown. (laughs) Mate, next time. Also next week. Let's move on to cricket. There's been some fascinating things in cricket. Uh, Looking at the Indian tour, which is going to be a great tour, it looked like it was going to be an absolute massive one. I'm a person who likes to see the best team that the opposition has against the best team that we have. And unfortunately, it looks like we're going to lose their captain and probably the, the best batsman in the world at the moment, Virat Kohli.
3: Yeah, one test only and going home for the imminent birth of his child. Is that the right after, decision, Caitlin? Oh, I would say that's the right decision. There's uh, been plenty of those decisions out of hubs all year in the AFL system, but, um, yeah, well, he. That, it doesn't come up on you, those type of things. They creep, don't creep up. It's about a nine-month lead in, if I hear correctly. So you're, what you're so saying here is you he he, would have known about it. Are you when, saying his
0: timing for the – for actually but making that baby was bad. He actually should be mapping out times in his <laughs> no, calendar. No, I think year. the
3: announcement is a little bit late. Maybe we've been. Promised. I think you're this onto something. The blockbuster though. summer of cricket and uh, the Indian tour was so relied upon too for for cricket Australia's bottom line for one, but um, also the interest in cricket, the TV rights, and now we've dropped this bombshell that there's this.
0: I think you're onto something though. I think man- on the way. Cricket managers should be looking at conjugal visits, <laughs> <laughs> and they should time them. That, that, that happens to, to anyway, go- I
3: don't Think they have that much access to, to go twice. to go
0: with it when <laughs> the tours are on because obviously it's going to be an ongoing problem. Yeah, not
3: their
2: home Smithy? that much, trust me. Yeah, there's no doubt it's a blow. I guess you've got you know the two probably biggest <laughs> nations at the moment outside of England with the Ashes sort of lining up for a blockbuster series. Australia were obviously missing you know some key pieces when the two sides met out here a couple of years ago. So everybody was looking forward to this, and there's no doubting he's a massive hole. Like he leaves after that first test, if they're probably not ahead one nil. I can't see them winning the series without him um, because he just feels he's such a void. Um, I was reading something he's today. He's aura too, isn't he? He's yeah. Got arrogance. And I think I was reading something today about the top 10 most popular sports figures on the planet and he's the only one who's not a soccer player or a basketballer. And so that shows you his pulling power and I think also Fox are now – lapping up the fact that they've got the rights to the one-day series and he's going to be here for that. But then Channel 7, who have been in war with Cricket Australia over the rights all summer, now losing for three tests. So, yeah, they'd be pretty disappointed. But, yeah, this clearly probably, for me, puts the ball into Australia's court for that series.
0: Ollie what decision would you make if your beautiful wife was... Going to have another baby? Would you give up uh, a test <laughs> A test appearance? I'd
1: give up my test career. No, I would.
2: <laughs> hasn't uh, been a yeah, big career good. at this <laughs> stage. I'm
1: happy to throw that in. What was your uh, first test again? No, uh, <laughs> I, I would. I mean, I, it doesn't surprise me that Cole is going home, to be honest. I'd uh, Like, Kate, I think it's just the timing of the announcements, the interesting one. They've obviously held back for purposes, but it doesn't surprise me that he's going home at all. And he's going to be hard, like Smithy said, from maybe one 0 up. I agree they've got to be, but at day-night test, the first one, India traditionally hasn't done well in them. They don't like playing them, so um, it's going to be a tough one for them. But, you know, it'll, imagine Coley comes over, plays one test – they win it, let's say. They've won the one day series. He goes off. They lose the overall series. It just bumps Coley's presence up in India even more. His price tag goes he up. Lose, can he? he can't lose. So he's the immortal. I uh, said it doesn't surprise, but it does It does put a dampener. I think, and I, I mean, I think of Paney. paney has been quite vocal about his thoughts on Coley and stuff. I was really looking forward to the series Beautiful. of Paney v. Coley, to be frank. So Coley going home is probably my biggest disappointment from the fact I wanted to see how Painty dealt with him this year and, um, yeah, a bit of verbal and stuff. So
0: It's been interesting. I've been to a couple of functions where uh, Painty's talked and he's quite open about his dislike for <laughs> Coley. He's got great respect for him but uh, him as a person, he, he's not a big rap, is he? Talking about Painty, Okay. Smithy, set the scene for what happened for what was <laughs> an intriguing dismissal.
2: Was it fair or was it not? Set the scene. Uh, okay, so New South Wales are two for 5,000 or whatever they were at this point in, in, and in the second innings. Um, I think it was Daniel Hughes. Was Daniel Hughes the yeah. batsman? Gabe Bell has bowled a pretty decent delivery, which has beaten the outside edge. Payne is keeping back, clearly, because Gabe Bell sends him down at about one thirty five. And quick thinking. It was Larkin. Has, it was a guy under one. Oh, sorry, Nick Larkin. Nick Larkin. Yeah, Nick Larkin, yeah sorry. Um, and that's the end quick of your quick a sports journalist, mate. <laughs> Paney has thrown the ball back at the stumps and has got a stumping. Now it's divided opinion. I've played in games where uh, this is frowned upon. From if you're there and you're, a, I'm an ex keeper. I, I don't think I ever really tried it to be honest, but I know guys who do, and it does rile some people. What was
0: intriguing about it was though that. That uh, – who was the batsman again? Oldie, you.
2: Nick Larkin. Larkin. Nick he was on 100 and something at the time. But he
0: actually stood there contemplating for quite a long while before Payne actually threw Correct. the ball. We've got a highlight. That,
3: that was about eight seconds that was, it, while what, Payne yeah, had the ball gl- in gloves. He was glamorising
2: the fact that he missed it. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what do <laughs> the missed the ball. Caitlin?
0: You reckon? What do you reckon?
3: What's that? Fair oh, or not? Oh, fine line, but sure.
0: I reckon if you were the keeper, you certainly would have done it. Yeah, you'd,
3: climb, you'd be claiming <laughs> that. Absolutely.
0: There's the argument
2: that keepers shouldn't be doing it, but I guess the batsmen should be getting back as well, I suppose. they You bat out of your crease to m- negate LB to Ws and things yeah. like that, Try and get, you know, sort of take that as an advantage when you're batting. So it is your duty to get back into the crease after it's happened. You just don't see it. Very, it's something that you do see at club cricket level, like the ball's rolling back past the stumps, the bowler gets shitty because they're <laughs> scuffing the ball up and the batsman turns around. So, oh, sorry.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> they, do, they do get crabby, let's be honest, they do. But but what's the difference between a batsman standing out of his crease, whacks it to mid-wicket, ball rolls out to mid-wicket gently, he stands out of his crease, the guy pings it back and it hits the stumps. He's standing there out of his crease. I mean, it's no different. I, I, I watched on telly last night and Payne, he, yeah, he gloved down left side and then he threw it reasonably quickly, you know, bounced once or twice. The, I don't have any problem with it. I, I mean, I know people get up in arms. I remember when we used to play, it used to be if the keeper's not standing up, don't throw it at the stunts, whatever. Yeah, We all like to hate keepers, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> but the point was I, I thought it was clearly out. I mean, the bloke, you know, ball went through, Payne took it took the stumps off. I mean, yeah. the, the end reality is I don't think it was any different if it went to fine league and they pinged it in and you stand out of your crease,
0: if it hits the stumps, you're out. If it had been in the backyard with my brothers when we were growing up, it would have ended up in a oh, brawl, yeah. I can you, tell don't you. Don't that. get me wrong, if I was given out like that, I would have been dark age. <laughs> okay, t- uh, something else that happened in that game which amused me was when uh, I think uh, at that stage, New South Wales were five for 2063 and just about every player <laughs> had got a century and Sean Abbott gets his tonne. And the, the captain of New South Wales declares, but Mitchell Stark's in his high 80s and he hasn't actually got a three-figure total. So what does he do? He walks off he the ground and...
3: Pete Neville declares. Yeah, but what happens then? Oh, yeah,
2: turfs the bat, turfs oh, the glove. Right. <laughs> <That laughs> t- you can understand, can't you? This is a man who's got a, a test 99. He's never made a century at first class level and you're never going to get a better chance on a road in Adelaide where everybody's making
0: centuries.
1: You'd really hope that the captain said to him, mate, you've got two overs to go and if he doesn't do it, because you're right, if he pulled the pin on him straight away, yeah. like you would be filthy.
2: That is true. And you don't know the messaging there. He might have had supposed... Supposedly, he'd been batting a bit slower than Sean Abbott, who had just brought up his maiden century as well. So, but maybe it was a ploy to get him fired up because they ended up having what five or six overs at him that night, and he didn't. Stark didn't get a wicket, but Copeland did, and Tassie were two down at stumps, and facing an uphill battle to save a game after bowling the team out for no sixty four. Um, yeah, uh, look, it's. I know I'd be disappointed. No, regardless of what happened, if you're in on three figures, you do just want to get there and get a bit of, <laughs> bit of personal glory.
1: Him, but you would at least say to him, when you're on 86, I'll give you another over or, or two, go silly. As soon as you get it or you get out, but it's your risk if you get out, you'd hope that he put that message through. Well, Otherwise, I'd be dark if I was stuck.
0: If it was Donald Trump, he would have stayed out on the ground <laughs> and he would have told him, you keep on bowling, keep on bowling. I'm going to hit it for six. Keep on bowling. been
3: watching way too much coverage this week.
2: Everywhere. I suppose uh, the other big thing this week, uh, was the deck. We saw yes. the announcement of the upgrade starting um, out the Premier, who was going to be on our show but pulled the plug. He's probably too oh, busy hammering holes in the walls mate, in the He pulled
0: stuff. it all out, and <laughs> he got, got out there, got the high-vis on. There's nothing better than a Premier getting high-vis and a helmet on and getting a blockbuster in his hands oh,
3: Tell you it. what, I can't wait for that, those images and that vision to be used out of context of him just taking <laughs> a sledgehammer to whatever industry's that's, under fire That's at that already stage.
1: started. If you didn't see Facebook the other night, the, I think it was, uh, I won't say which industry it was, has already <laughs> put up the message about it. So you're right, they've already jumped onto it.
2: But it's going to look good. I mean, I've seen, we've probably all seen the preliminary images, uh, the vision that have, have come out from the NBL on, on what the deck's going to look like and she's going to be pretty schmick. It's a, a world-class venue and it's probably the very starting Point now of the jack jumpers moving into the season in a year's time. So, a lot of work to do. I think Larry said at the very start it was two years worth of renovations that he was cramming into 12 months, uh, which is now probably 11. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see how they get it all done. I don't know if they're going to have some extra men on site, but um, good to see some stuff
1: rolling, I guess. There'll be workers everywhere. How good will it be, though? I think we're talking about that first, first game of the 2021 22 season. Jack Jumpers v Melbourne United or South East Melbourne at the newly renovated deck to start off the NBL season. What a massive way that'll be in October 2021.
0: It will be amazing. My my only reservation about it, and we've raised it before, is that it's still a smallish stadium. And I reckon Tassie... What is
3: the capacity? It'll only be 5,000 again. Yeah, I think 5, they're 000. bumping
2: it up maybe to six, close to, but...
0: Wouldn't it be great if we had a 20,000 stadium that could be multi-purpose? I just feel like at some point we need... I'd love to see a roofed stadium that had that capacity and could take entertainment as well, but, but you know, that's the future. I think
2: the argument there was they would, for NBL purposes, they would rather a 6,000-seat stadium full than a 15,000 half full, and even though you're getting more people. Uh, and I know models like Townsville, um, you know, Cairns, et cetera, that's what they're based on, and, and the atmosphere I think is a little bit better as opposed to having, yeah... A lot of empty seats. And you
1: wonder, Larry's a very smart operator, that he builds the, let's say, 6,000-seat stadium, that if we can fill 6,000 continually, that he doesn't knock down a couple of walls and the extra seats (laughs) go in and make it 10 or whatever. Let's be honest, you'd be making sure the contingency plan works, that if you can fill 6,000 over a number of... Tassie doesn't have a good history of filling stadiums, though, whether it's AFL footy or it looks like AFL cricket. footy, cricket, all that now. We haven't backed up. We do a lot of whinging about getting people to a, or getting major sport to Tassie and we don't back it up with getting on bums on seats. So I'd suggest that if um, Tasmanians want to get a bigger stadium and all that, they need to start supporting these things when they come down.
0: Well, we've talked a lot of uh, rubbish because the <laughs> Premier didn't come in. I, to be honest, I don't think we missed the Premier at this stage. <laughs> it was scintillating conversation. Uh, and aren't that, you that the thing? king of
3: Tassie anyway? I am
0: nearly king of tears. That's so, why. So we why just Michael go back Jordan step Jordan, to Jordan. Right.
3: self-proclaimed. Okay.
0: Are you
1: now in the same bucket as Eddie? Because they've now been banned yeah, as well. That's
0: no, right. well I, I don't know it's whether you're banned. Just on that. It, you know when they make that announcement, uh, we've made a decision too. Yeah, and you go, did you make that decision or didn't you? I, who absolutely knows? I know in my case I didn't. But <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, that's our look at sport around Tasmania and around Australia. But coming up shortly, we'll be talking to Nicole Frayne, a great Tasmanian road cyclist. As usual on the Chassis Sport Lounge, uh, we had a huge list of people who are going to be on the show today. Uh, obviously, Donald Trump wanted to come on, uh, couldn't. He had a game of golf. We had the Premier, he had other issues. Uh, Michael Jordan, again, struggling to get back to me. Uh, we did have Benny Brown and Hugh Greenwood possible uh, attendees. They weren't on. We love to invite people who just don't come on. But someone who did come in, she couldn't get away from us, is Nicole Frain, who's a Tassie Road cyclist who's got an interesting background. You actually started as a gym sort of person. Someone suggested you go into triathlons. But your body didn't agree with triathlons. What happened?
4: Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so I, I did all the gym life um, and everything that you do and then I sort of got sick of the idea of uh, training for aesthetics. Um, so then I moved into the triathlon and, um, yeah, body didn't like it. I, hadn't, I could always run at school but obviously five, six years off of actually doing that kind of pounding through the pavement and um, I stress, fra- stress fractured my foot first, recovered from that and then stress, stress fractured the femoral Neck of my hip, um, and at 25, and looking at needing a hip replacement, I didn't need one, but that's what they said. Is it's not it's not a great outcome, so I um, just moved on to the bike.
3: And you've had a fair bit of involvement on the bike, and of course, organising events as well. Tell us about what you do for cycling in Tassie.
4: Yeah, I got more involved with it this year um, with the Hobart Wheelers, so that's our local cycling club, um, and I've taken on a position of being involved in the event organising and um, then the social media marketing side of it as well. So it's, it's working, I think. So we're getting a lot of numbers. And tell us about your
3: own personal career, picking up a, a sport as such at 25 years old, but you've gone from strength to strength in the last couple of years.
4: Yeah, it's um, always challenging, I guess, when you come into a sport where you potentially have like younger younger athletes being the ones that are stepping up but women I do think come into this sport and can continue in this sport for a little for quite a bit longer so haven't noticed it too much but yeah I started um, locally and um, then was encouraged to give the National Road Series a go which I did on my own um, and then getting picked up by the TAS Institute of Sport Um, and now I'm on my uh, National Road Series team Sydney Uni Staminade um, and I raced for Australia last uh, at the start of the year in tour down under, Cadell Evans, um, and went to Europe last year. And I would have tried to do all those things again, but COVID life, COVID
2: life. <laughs> I guess or the organisational side of things, last weekend we saw, I love this day, what do you think, a hell of the south it is the event down at Sigma. I love it. I think just strike Good fear. Good down there. I've, ri- I've actually ridden down there. So. Strike fear into you before you go. But there was a three-fold number of entrants this year. Um, I guess, did it blow you away that the amount of people that were Signing up to to get involved this
4: year. Um, I think I, I always set that goal high. Like that's the numbers we sort of looked at, and we're like, oh, if we get like ninety, that'll be great. But maybe you're yeah, getting close close to that hundred and twenty was pretty significant. We've sort of um created a bit of an affiliation with um Tri South, Running Edge Crew, those guys as well. And they're really good. They've got their own little community, and I think they'll really encourage each other. So working together with these other clubs, and they might not be the same sport, but everybody can ride a bike. Um, it gets people long participation up. To an up. extent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but the name you mentioned as well, Hell of the South, we did think, oh, do we want to change it? Will it no, scare people good. off? But it's got a good ring to it. It makes your job easy, doesn't it? Like hell Absolutely. of a race. It's it's good. No, no, yeah.
2: Uh, yeah. COVID's shut a lot of sports down this Didn't year, it? but cycling's probably the one. I know we've spoken a few times about it that. It's at least got people out in a bike getting fit and healthy. Is that translated into the competitive side of it, which you were hoping to try and, yeah, get a bit of bounce off to it?
4: It takes a little while. Like um, anything when you're trying to market it, people need to see things a certain amount of time before they want to take it up or give it a go. So um, this is the sort of thing where if you get them in those communities, um, one of the girls also runs like the girl gang group and everything. You get them around those communities and you encourage them, Maybe uh, we had a couple where they they did chicken out for the race, but maybe next time they turn up. So you just you work at it, and um, we put on we're putting on a couple of things for new riders as well, whether that's juniors, seniors, whatever age, or maybe you just want to recap where one of the local coaches is going to put a session on of um, racecraft. So how to swap off turns, how to drink from your bottle, when to what flicking your elbow means in a race like so just things like that to help people understand racing as a concept before you could we use these dave yeah use a few of those tips
3: oh couldn't i ever before
0: <laughs> before you came in and just after you came in as you know they're trying to get me to challenge you to a bike ride <laughs> which they, they they think i'm some sort of moron who's going to take it. Every, <laughs> well, every time we get a sportsman in
3: I mean we think they go
0: <laughs> they go they want me to take them on which takes me back. I actually had this thing where I mouthed off about some fast bowler and I, in the end Booney got me over at the at, Bel, at Blunston Arena with the bowling machine set at 160 <laughs> and I had to face it. I did not even see it. It just whack, whacked me on the pad. They I come didn't. out fast at 160. <laughs> so I, I mountain bike about once a week, right? And recently I got onto a charity bike ride and I got cleaned up by all these guys who – Looked like they weren't as fit as me, but they cleaned me up on a ride up to Colin's cap. But along there was Nathan Earle, and I think you have a bit of a connection with Nathan. He's a Tasmanian cyclist, for those people who don't know. He has an international profile and rides for a Japanese team. It was fascinating to watch him. He's so supremely fit. And then we had a Q&A afterwards with his training regime. You guys have to actually be so focused on what you do, don't you?
4: Yeah, it um, depends when on and what your goals are. Obviously, um, you can't be on all the time. Uh, I think Nathan's about to go into a, a little bit of an off period right now for a cup for a week or so, and so then you are get only riding about four hundred k. <laughs> that, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, you've got to have those breaks mentally, physically as well. So, but then yeah, a lot of the time, if nationals is coming up, if some big targeted race or your team needs you to perform, um, yeah, it's, it's got to be dialed in. What is it off week for you or, or say, him? (laughs) It would be no bike. Um, Yeah, yeah. and for him it's probably family time. Um, For me, dog time, partner (laughs) time. My partner rides bikes as well. That always makes it a little bit easier. Our time can be shared together on that. Um, But, yeah, it's just relaxing. Um, But
3: it's not... You don't get on the bike at all. It's
4: not 400 (laughs) games. No, and, yeah, and it wouldn't be, the the goal wouldn't be then instead of riding, um, going, running a marathon a day or anything. It is meant to be a rest, yeah.
2: What did you make of his uh, Everesting effort? I guess we we saw him climb the equivalent of Mount Everest, third fastest time I think from memory ever, better than Alberto Contador, who's won a couple of uh, of major (laughs) titles uh, in his career, I suppose. Is it something that interests you to have a crack at anything like
4: that? He's a sicko, isn't he? (laughs) No. I think it's really, really cool. Um, he set the goal, and um, I went up there and tried to support it all day, which I, I felt so tired from just being a supporter. Like I didn't, and I felt like I couldn't complain about that because like he just rode Everest. So um, I watched him from the bottom, and it does make you a bit scared watching the speed he took that bottom corner at every time. Um, and then my boyfriend as well, he wrote he wrote a majority of it. Did it something like five and a half thousand meters himself? Everest is eight thousand nine hundred and something. So he did a huge portion of it as well so that was I, I was impressed by both of them
2: yeah moving
4: forward oh, sorry, you yeah,
0: get- I was just going to say the thing I noticed about talking to Nathan was how incredibly fastidious and fussy he has to be about his food mm. when he eats it what he eats and it's actually monitored by his Japanese team they've got to work out what his output is and how if he eats too much and puts a, a little to get a bit more energy he puts on a bit of weight and that makes it harder but if he eats less, he doesn't have enough energy. So it's that fine balance. Are you like that?
4: Yeah, um, like I said, depends on the race and, and what's coming up. Um, in, your, in your, I suppose, building phase, it's not quite as strict because it is all about just training really hard and if you can't train hard, then you're not going to get the output. Um, but you've got to be really smart about it too, things like – um, bonking happens on the bike. So if you're not aware of that, that's basically, you see stars, you, you haven't eaten enough, so your glycogen cool. stores are gone and, um, and you just, you can't keep riding. It's no matter what you tell your head, it's impossible. And at that stage, even if you decided to smash 10 chocolate bars at that point, it's not getting into your system to work. So yeah, you have to be smart about how you, um, how you're eating and fueling from the bike, dependent on your effort. Um, and you said the Weight component, I mean, you get to any elite sport and the weight's important, but particularly in cycling, your power-to-weight ratio, it is something that people do get pretty finicky about.
2: What does the landscape look like in the next nine to 12 months, even on the Australian scene? We saw the National Road Series obviously didn't go ahead this year. Is it something that will pick back up? Is there anything yeah, on the calendar early next year? Was it wasn't until down under. I think it's already gone, but...
4: Yeah, those big races, Tour Down Under is gone, but they're looking to do um, maybe a domestic level, so more National Road Series side. Um, and I'm actually heading off at the end of the month um, 27th to National Road Series. We're doing a hub for nine days, so from the 27th to the 6th of December. So that's nine straight days of racing, assuming you do them all. You don't have to. But well, we've had no racing, so I'm going to try.
0: <laughs> Just one important question. How do you manage your tan? Because <laughs> what I'm noticing is… I don't is know if
4: you've noticed I don't. <laughs> is the
0: Lycra comes mid uh, top arm…
4: And mid thigh, and you're very, very tanned from those points because of the like. You'll notice what I've done as well is for a while I was wearing long sleeve, no glove. So I've got a tan, more tanned hand. <laughs> so you've and then the, opposite to a watch mask. Yeah, and then you, I've got this. You little look a band. bit like a zebra. <laughs> yeah, I've got this little band here because then I wore gloves and no arm warmers. <laughs> so that was this is uh, this is probably only th- um, four rides worth of damage right here. So I'm not too sure. Do some you try and top
0: it up at some point so you get a.
4: Yeah, I know my sister's getting married in February and she's um she's telling me I need to sort this out. So. This is where <laughs> so fake... strapless racing we're yeah. going into it's new fashion. This
0: yeah. is where fake tan has its has a real part in life. Oh, it's a battle. Okay, yeah, yeah.
3: I can vouch for that. That's yeah. a battle. Even <laughs> if in natural tan is not the same I love dresses in summer <laughs> and yeah, it doesn't work. Well to go along with the tan, you've also got a, a couple of scars to compete with. Talk us through some of the accidents you've had because it's certainly not an
4: individual sport or a, a contactless sport, is it? No. <laughs> um, unfortunately, contact happened to the pavement sometimes, <laughs> um, or other riders. Yeah, so in earlier in the year um, at Kid 11's Road Race, I mentioned I rode in before. Um, there was a pile up crash about twenty k's from the finish, um, which it was basically a dominoes of the entire peloton. Um, and I went over some girls and uh, degloved my little finger. By it's going to sound horrible. Sorry. Um, slicing that sliding out between the road and my handlebar um, oh. and then breaking um, my collarbone as well so I've got a plate put in that too so. So that was during COVID you had to have surgery? It was actually right before it right all kicked before, off yeah. which I'm kind of happy with because I was in Melbourne and just the, yeah the whole debacle of getting home with COVID and yeah.
3: it's It's brutal isn't it and we see it in the Tour de France, you know, you There's are a- riding so close. Do you get that PTSD a little bit the next time you get on the bike? Have you got that fear of clipping
4: the, the person in front of you? I think it just depends on how the accident happens. Um, I do deal better with it when I know it was my fault because then I feel in control of it. Whereas when it's the other people and yeah, you even without a crash though, you've got to be aware of the other people in the bunch. Anything can happen
0: you hit them up on social media like sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> they in, in Formula 1 where you're just giving them a bit of a blast? and so. <laughs> yeah.
3: I would never
4: point a blame at somebody's accident, no, because they happen to everyone, the best riders, yeah. And, uh, and where do you want to go with cycling? Where does do you hope it takes you? Yeah, I'm, I hope to get an opportunity to ride on a pro women's team. That would be the dream. But um, whether I know that can happen or not, uh, I don't know. COVID changes a lot of things, um, women's team, women's in general racing, uh, pays, things like that, have come a long way but still have a long way to go as well. So it'll just see yeah, see what happens.
0: Oh, we wish you the best of luck. it would be lovely to see you on the national and international stage. So good luck. Thank you. And on the Tassie Sport Lounge, we're extremely lucky to have a guest who's actually turned up, <laughs> one of our few guests. <laughs> It actually well, makes, it, <laughs> makes it from the planning Sur- meeting into reality.
1: Surprising you didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs>
0: two two from three, I'll give us a pass, Smithy, Mark. So. Smithy's nailed another one. He's a man, uh, we'll have to call him the Shermanator. James Sherman, he, uh, of course, has been coaching um, the Glenorchy Knights and they had a fantastic win in, uh, I think I'm going to nail it, the Lacazelle Jack Cup. How did I go? Perfect, mate. Perfect. Perfect. Have you been Perfect. ever called the Shermanator? Surely, yeah. Plenty of times. <laughs> and and
5: – for quite some time, just about. Um,
0: Do you wear it proudly?
5: Oh, I think I think they must have come out when I just turned thirteen. So I've started a new school <laughs> straight just away. And Straight away, you get <laughs> you get hammered with that.
0: Thing. <laughs>
2: no, it's, no time since. Uh, Obviously a great weekend, mate. I know that it's uh, an event and a cup and something that means a lot to the club. You've now moved one ahead of your opponents in the record holder of it. Can you fill us through, yeah, sort of how it all unfolded and exactly what, yeah, winning a bit of silverware obviously means for everybody at the Knights.
5: So I didn't even know that stat myself.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I looked Um, up, up, uh, yeah, so I think you you were tied with Olympia. You've
0: done well. Can you you prep a bit better than that? (laughs) 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 We'll get you back in, mate. uh, Just have a go. Do do, you want us to do your
1: contract work, (laughs) mate, or Record the holder up, of the lack of cup the titles. Right
5: <laughs> um, look, we're we're really happy. It's um, it's been a big weekend. It's still really sinking in now. If I'm if I'm honest, um, I didn't realise after the game how much it meant to so many people. Thirty seconds or so after that whistle had went, it was euphoria for myself, and then for the next hour and a half afterwards, it, it was really intense. Personally, um, it, I, I felt a little bit flat because everyone else was. Just so high afterwards and, and it was relief from a coaching point of view, to be honest. Yeah. But amazing. Yeah, so good.
1: So it has been a big few days of celebration or do you get on to the next, the next thing?
5: No, there was. There was definitely some <laughs> celebrating done there. Um,
0: do you do Mad Monday?
5: No, we didn't do it as a team but we we, we celebrated. Because it's, really it's COVID moment. unsafe at the moment. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> There'd uh, be an element yeah, to that. <laughs> no, no, that's it. No, we, we um, celebrate in the clubhouse with the supporters. Afterwards, yeah, it was great.
0: Was it a shock? I,
1: I, I will admit soccer's not a great thing in mine. Was,
0: so it's football, mate. I'm yeah, sorry. No, football, <laughs>
1: I call it soccer from my point of view. Uh, was it a shock? Were you, were, you, were you confident going in or were you guys the underdogs? To,
5: to win the final? Yeah, to win the final. Um, yeah. No, I think it was two, two strong sides in the final. Um, we'd had the stronger of season. So I think people have looked at us as being the guys that potentially – Come out on top, but saying that it would only been a fraction of a, an opinion because on the
1: regular season, you sat second or Correct. you to Devonport, basically, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's Devonport yeah. First in their normal company. Second, yeah,
5: um, and, and you know, in Olympia, I, they would have had a disappointing season by their own standards, but the side that they had out in that final was an exceptionally good one. So, yeah. like I said, when it came to being a favourite or not a favourite for that game. It was
0: not much between them. Did they ever consider changing the name from the Lacazelle Jack Cup after people mispronounced it for a few years? <laughs> the Smith Cup? <laughs> the, Smith, the Sherman Cup. It's got a nice ring to it, hasn't <laughs> they they it? Yeah, we're onto something in there,
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, Mate, in terms of Glenorchy itself, how can you fill us in on a bit of your history and uh, sort of having a bit of a look, obviously we've been dominated by South Hobart and, and Devonport of, of recent times in the, nat- in the season. Is, is Glenorchy a club that's sort of on the way up?
5: so traditionally it's one of the powerhouse clubs um you know and especially um with the croatian heritage too um you know it's it's always had a strong connection to its community and even the municipality of konoki it's it's always had some deep roots there um 5 6 years ago the club went through a quite a difficult period um it was the weeping boys of the league like and we're not talking one or two goals, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Well, luck, That's how luck, the scoring luck, luck, should luck. be. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're the winning side, maybe. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it, they were cricket scores. Uh, and, it, and it was, quite frankly, not good enough. And they were relegated from the division um, for three seasons. And then and that was kind of the kick in the pants. The committee kind of sorted themselves out. Um, and then the championship, the league below, what it was, I think it was a victory league at the time. Now it's the NPL, so the top tier. Um, they won that three times there's no promotional relegation at the moment so they were stuck in the division but they won it three times um we came up in 2019 and so last year was our second year or our first year back in back in the top tier and we finished fifth and obviously this year was our second year back in the division and Second place and cup winners.
0: Tell us a bit about your career. So where have you gone with footy? Because it's, it's hard in Tasmania to actually go to the next level. It, it and
5: is. It is. That's an interesting topic for, an, for another conversation <laughs> yeah. for sure. Um, so I wanted to make a career of it myself as a player. Um, so I left Tassie pretty early as a 16-year-old. I went to Melbourne and tried my hand there. Um, and I was there for four and a half years and, and played with some great players and from some great coaches in the Victorian Premier League. Um, and then from there I spent five years in the UK um, knocking around at non-league level, you know, semi-professional sort of stuff, also really similar sort of experience, you know, working with some good people, slugging it away, kind of, it never really happening. Um, and then after a couple of years there, uh, you know, it kind of got to 21, 22. James, this is never happening for you, mate. Like <laughs> think of a plan B. Um, got myself a trade and did my carpentry apprenticeship in the UK. Um, came home 2015, yeah, and I'd felt, fallen out of love with the construction industry myself and and I was at a club called Hobart Zebras, now part of the merger of Clarence Zebras and um, kind of after a season and a bit there had decided that I want to do something that I enjoy and it was going to have to be involved with football. Um, got myself a job as a teacher's assistant at a school out at Glenora District past New Norfolk Started working with juniors, kind of worked from juniors into youth. I, I was lucky that I had a had a, a reputation as a player, so you, your avenues are open a little bit quicker when it comes to senior management and working with what you know the elite sides here. And Glenorchy Knights approached me about a position working in that area, and I didn't think twice. Those,
2: how mad is? The UK for footy. I guess we see the EPL, um, but those lower levels as well, is it just as fanatic? Um, So
5: so you consider the size of the place and, you know, what's the population? 60, 65. So they have four tiers. So you've got your Premier League and you've got your Championship, you've got your League One, your League Two. So there are 90 teams just there, right, in those four divisions. And then under that you have the Conference, which is so – the, the fifth tier as such, and then you've got Conference North, Conference South, they might have a different name now in terms of the sponsorship of them. But even in those Conference North and South sides, you have some clubs that are professional. So <laughs> you've got the four, the four, the Premier League Championship, League One, League Two, which are considered the professional leagues, and there's 90 clubs there. And then you've got tiers below that, that still have clubs that have players full-time ball.
1: Jeez. So there's still nah. a chance, Smithy.
5: <laughs> I
1: was a that, junior that, soccer player. Did you, did you keep
0: on going through be. one after you? <laughs> one after <laughs> you? Mate, that's there's got to be one there for me. That's how bad it's Come I on. Was. I didn't ever get one. Of those. <laughs> so, <laughs>
2: so disappointing. It's incredible because we see – you look at cricket as an example and they've obviously got, you know, county cricket mm-hmm. and then guys that I played with play lower levels and even if it's just on carpet, but they yeah. pay for one or two plays yep. to go over. Yep. But to talk whole clubs um, – Yeah, that, I mean – and look
5: – the. the there's plenty to talk about there too, like financially for a lot of clubs, it doesn't work structurally for a lot of clubs, it doesn't work, but it's there in place it's been happening for however long and the, you know there's loads of conversation happening now about the viability and the sustainability of that sort of model and whether that ev- ever changes who knows yeah. but the, the the fact is that the amount of money that's involved in the Premier League um, and those top levels is astronomical there.
0: It's interesting to see if post-COVID that gets affected like other codes.
5: It's affected, affecting those levels now.
0: So, okay, you've been around in the UK, you've seen footy around Australia. Can Tassie have an A-League side? Yeah, I think it can. And should we?
5: Um, I'd like to think so, yeah. Um, I take heart in that I don't think when people look at putting a team together, I don't think it's ever going to be a Tassie side where we have 30,000 people at a home game, right? But I've been to plenty of football clubs, that have seven, eight thousand, nine thousand at their home game and it's an appropriate size stadium. Yeah. The club have the appropriate attitude for the community base and where they are and what they're about. And it's absolutely brilliant. You can have nine thousand people in a stadium that create the energy and the atmosphere better than anything yeah. in a fifty thousand seater stadium that's Huffle.
1: Do you think do you think we'll get it? Do you think we'll get
0: a, a Tassie side?
5: Who knows? Everything swings and roundabouts, isn't it? Eventually, there will be a time when someone will give Tassie the opportunity.
0: Well, we've got a couple of Melbourne guys, wealthy Melbourne yeah, guys who've yeah, really all, sniffed around.
5: I, I, from what I, from the from the knowledge I have of the consortium and the bid that was put together, it was really good. It was really good, and it ticked all the boxes. Yeah. It just that the people that those that were putting the ticks yeah. in the boxes.
1: Had other ideas so the, what what's the competition like then? So you've been around, let's say, the world, you've played, you've seen all those sort of things. What's the the comp like that you're coaching at the moment? What's that standard like? Is it comparable to where in Melbourne or UK? Yeah, we're, are you we're a with little it?
5: bit behind here. We are a little bit behind yep. here. Just just the general player pool in itself is a lot smaller. Same for the coaching bracket. You know? yep. um, so we are a little bit behind. But one thing I'll say about – players in clubs here, they do things or they try to do things in the right way, um, as compared to plenty of other places where you get people just kind of float in and out, so either to make some money out of it, you know, or for an opportunity in the, in the, in the spotlight. But here, I, I do think there's genuine decency in the game, which is not always the case.
0: Well, congratulations on what was a fantastic win in the Laka Jack Cup. <laughs> Again, well, it know. flowed off yeah. my <laughs> tongue. <laughs> it flows off my tongue. <laughs> Uh, congratulations to the Shermanator and, mate, good luck with your career at the Glenorchy Knights.
5: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks, right? Thank you.
3: Time for the Club's Corner here at the Tassie Sport Lounge. And as always, Andrew Moore, Project Manager for Clubs Tasmania, joins us. Maury, what's going on in your world? Well,
6: there's always plenty going on, Caitlin. Um, look, the Hobart International Tennis event, there's a fair bit happening at the media at the moment with uh, whether or not that goes ahead, but... That creates a uh, interesting scenario for all the volunteers because it's something that they really look forward to. So all the tennis clubs across Tasmania, that event is, um, as I said, staffed by volunteers across the club industry. Um, ...and all their players, so I think that they'll be calling their fingers crossed... ...that that event still keeps going.
3: So the possibility is that the Australian Open, all those lead-up tournaments... ...in preparation for that in January will be held actually in Melbourne... ...and we may not get the Hobart International here, is that correct?
6: Yeah, that's correct and I know Aldi talked about it this morning on Tassie Time... ...on RSN with Gareth Hall, so yeah, governments are very um, cautious... ...of letting in the European players um, in case any of them have got... ...you know, people-to-people transmission with COVID, so... They're just exploring that and I think at the end of the day there'll be a, a risk decision made. What do you reckon, Aldi?
1: Yeah, I reckon they'll be all in Melbourne. I don't reckon they'll come out. Let's be honest, the tennis players haven't wrapped themselves in glory over the COVID period around the world. So I'd be suggesting that they could not risk uh, the Australian Open and the cost that it brings Yeah, you know, to get all these players over, etc. that they're going to have to move those sort of events. And for the worth of having one year where it just doesn't happen, I think it's a risk for Tassie too to have some of those players come down here, not bone root. I think it makes complete sense to just send all the tournaments to Melbourne and um, try to make sure all the Aussie Opens a success.
3: Well, they'd be coming into a hub environment anyway, going, straight from their hotel to the Domain Tenant Centre and back again. It wouldn't be the, the great experience that they usually have here. The media opportunities, the waterfront that we always see, you know, posing with a trophy, etc. getting out into the community, they're not going to be able to do that. So it does, um, yeah, question the benefit for Tasmania. But as you say, a disappointing time for the volunteers if that's to not go ahead.
6: Yeah, and I guess for Hobart in general, obviously, from a hospitality point of view, Aldi, we've got people with restaurants and visitors who come from the north and the northwest, east and west, who Will uh, spend time in Hobart, that they won't come down for that event. So, yeah, as said, that'll be a loss for, for Hobart. And um, yeah, so also with tennis, we've got um, they've sort of started a super league, um, which is really for their higher end talent. So, for those competitive players who might be playing some of the challenger events or their number one ranked players at each of the clubs down in the south, they've, they've, they've started a competition. So, um, that, that, that commenced recently. Uh, I was talking to Ed from the Domain Tennis Centre. So, I think there's players from Gilston Bay, Rosney Park. Um, sunshine the domain tennis centre so their number one and two ranked players are all representing those tennis centres in like a super league over the next four to five weeks they're going to trial it and and see how it goes so that's a really good outcome for sort of those elite or higher end tennis players who might be you know not so much not extended but bored at at maybe playing
3: pennant tennis excellent what else is going on in your land
6: well, the umpires. So the TFUA, who uh, there's about 170 umpires statewide, which involved most people are either former players or current players. And I know a number of our young players. They're after a home, Caitlin. So they haven't got anywhere to go. They've sort of been shunted around with seven different homes over the last ten or twelve years. So they really need a base. So Wouldn't they
4: be?
1: Surely we'd house them at AFL Tas. Surely they'd have some commit where they get housed at AFL Tas. Umpires are pivotal to the game of any sport. Surely AFL Tas would have space for them. They've been cutting staff.
6: Yeah, well, you'd think so, Oldie, but um, at the moment they, uh, their hospitality was provided by the Queen's Head Hotel this year, which is okay for all of those adult umpires, but I think 40% of them are under the age of 18, so they rely on public transport to get to training or their parents. They can't go into an establishment, as lovely and refreshing as that would be after training or after a game. So, yeah, so they're on the lookout for, uh, for a home, so if there's any potential clubs out there listening, they'd love to, um, or yeah, as I said, any of the peak bodies that would like to offer them a house, uh, yeah, get in touch with us.
1: And always, clubs do a little bit,
6: Absolutely. one three hundred one two five eight two seven 125 827 is our toll-free
1: number. I've got one for you. Ice skating. The ice skating rink of Glenorchy is for sale, mate. The iconic Glenorchy ice skating rink. What's the story there?
6: Yeah, well, that's been around for about 40 years. And Caitlin and myself met with a group this morning. Caitlin, so, um, yeah, how did that conversation go for us?
3: Oh, well, it's pretty concerning about what these uh, sports, these ice sports, that is ice skating, figure skating, ice hockey, are facing. They're quite literally uh, facing being abolished because they won't have a facility to use. When you think about it, it's not exactly the most popular sport, but there's about 300 participants that are consistently heading out to the only rink in Tasmania and I was surprised to hear that it's only a quarter of the size of, of an Olympic size rink. So the, the normal, the full size rink, it's only one quarter. So you can imagine trying to do a figure skating routine, doing tricks and, and throwing yourself around on the ice and then trying to convert that to a national competition. You head over to Melbourne and doing the same routine on a, on a rink that's four times the size. So, so funny enough, my
1: neighbour... <laughs> daughter, my good neighbour's daughter is an ice skater, they go out there every Saturday I and she performs. So she performs and they're very passionate about their ice skating and stuff. I won't talk about my history as very much, and the, my joke with my next door neighbour Mia is that my swan is my uh, code what? name for my old skating days, you can imagine me on the ice uh, <laughs> bit of a long running joke in my streets but the point <laughs> be being is the point being is that um, there are people that are involved in the sport it's Olympic, let's be honest, it's Olympic sport it's Olympic winter sport and it's our only facility that could be gone, that is sad for the those people and I know as I said the people my neighbours are very passionate about the sport
6: yeah so we're, uh, we'll be getting out and doing some advocacy next week Caitlin won't we with uh, a piece that really centers around how can we as a as a state develop a state-of-the-art facility that's going to encourage participation and really extend anyone who's got that talented end how's they going to prepare them for maybe representing Commonwealth Games or Winter Games or, or Olympics yep
1: so have they ever put in I, – I think they're a bit of – I don't know if it's a fact, but I don't know how what they're like as a lobby group, but have they ever put in for grants and stuff? I assume from chatting to this morning, they're not a very well – I don't mean this horribly to them – they're not a very well organised group. They've never had to deal with this sort of situation. So they're probably coming from a low mark, so well, to speak.
3: it seems that a lot of the volunteers and those – running the show, if you like, are uh, the parents of the yeah. talented young athletes that are, are going to national competition. And it's just shocking to hear the amount of money that they are spending to send their kid to national, not only competitions, but training once a month in Melbourne because we don't have the facilities here and we don't have the infrastructure and the coaches to access here in Tassie. So they just can't progress in the sport. So mm-hmm. upwards of $20,000 they're spending annually to try and get over to Melbourne and, and put their kids on the same sort of playing field as those kids in Melbourne who are doing the same thing. Yeah, Mr
1: Howlett will have to get on that one for you, Maury.
6: Yeah, we'll certainly uh, follow up with uh, the Minister when we catch up with her next Monday. And, again, one of the other opportunities it gives that if we've got a state-of-the-art facility, then we'll be able to attract national titles. That brings tourism and people to the state. So that's all good for our economy. So, And in a similar boat, really, uh, following on from the ice skating one, is Equestrian as well up north. So they're, they're sort of just starting a journey with us now They've sorted us out and we're going to try to help them just develop a narrative piece around um, no equestrian centre in the north of the state. So similar to what you were saying before, Aldi, if you're a horse rider or dressage, show jumping, cross country, they're the four disciplines. Um, yeah, they're looking for, for a state-of-the-art facility to be developed. There was one recently um, done in Victoria, the Werribee Equestrian Centre, and the conservative estimates there is that brings in about $150 million in tourism um, and boost to the economy, so if we had something like that in Tasmania, I'm sure that there'd be a lot of smiling hospitality businesses, clubs, volunteers and government uh, in regards to that.
3: But likewise to ice skating, we can also be a centre or a destination for the national and international competitions like we are with other sports for because we've got the state-of-the-art facilities. So... We've, I would say we've got the space to do it. It's about where the, the government throws some money and get behind these sports, put some investment in and be able to provide opportunities for kids to be able to have a variety of sports to pick from rather than just the mainstream ones.
1: I guess it's where, Maury, you're going to kick in. I mean, Clubs Tasmania's primary role is to help you know, sporting clubs with the rough things. But I guess it is in some ways holding the hands of some of these sports that, as you said, a mum and dad run or, or don't have the lobbying power or the money behind them. I guess that's where Clubs Tasmania can come in.
6: And, look, that's a good, good point, Aldi. I was talking to Jamie and Judy last week at the Equestrian and we threw Equestrian Tasmania I said, how long have you had this idea? And they said, oh, five years. So they've been sort of sitting on, on trying to get some uh, advocacy through this. So, yeah, that's a role that we can play, Aldi. As I said, we're well connected. We've got good relationships up the line to government. So, yeah, we'll certainly have a conversation with the Minister on Monday. Uh, a couple of other things that are bubbling along for clubs is um, with the JobKeeper reduction, that's certainly had an impact for a number of clubs who've had to um, sort of look at their staffing levels and work out who they can keep and who they can't, obviously, with our restrictions in place. So that's been a bit of an impact. Um, And the other bit of important, um, you know, issue at the moment for for clubs, especially around um, Australian rules football, is that um, AFL Tasmania recently reduced or announced their uh, strategic focus priorities for 2021. So I'm not sure if you've seen that, Caitlin, but um, I think it was people, participation programs, competition clubs and facilities.
3: Yeah, some huge changes to the landscape, particularly in community sport at the moment. The impact of COVID uh, can't really be estimated or underestimated um just yet because we get into next winter and some of these winter sports will be bearing the brunt and uh yeah afl tasmania certainly pretty much at the top of the pile in terms of a tasmanian sport They've had a whole restructure so we are hoping to have damien gill on the tassie sport lounge in the next couple of weeks hopefully for before christmas He his thoughts on the current state of play of tasmanian football and of course our place on the national stage in terms of securing a license for the afl long term Maury thanks for your time this afternoon in Clubs Corner. Always an interesting time. A take on the community clubs and the Clubs Tasmania strengthening the community club industry. We will see you in a couple of weeks. Well, that is episode five of the Tassie Sport Lounge. How do we think it went, team? Uh, well, you brought the guests. And-
0: oh, I, didn't bring, I didn't get anyone. Every guest I invited didn't come. Well,
1: that's oh, right, Smithy, because they got them.
3: <laughs> Again,
2: oh, I'm running all right, aren't I? <laughs> no, that's pretty good. It's always insightful to hear, I guess, some sports that we don't probably so much cover, especially myself. You know, I don't do a lot of the soccer for the Mercury. So it's um, fascinating to hear the insights behind the scenes, I guess, when they talk about what it's really like you know, road life and, and yeah, sort of that, that club land. So, mm. yeah. But yeah,
3: I always find it interesting to hear about their lives, as we said, outside of the sport and what they put into it to be able to perform – whether that's every day, the amount of K's that Nicole puts in or the the journey that James has had to to get where he is. You know,
0: the thing I find really fascinating is these people are in sports that they don't necessarily easily make a living out of. aspiring to be at the top level and having to shuffle around Australia and the world trying to make a living out of it because they're passionate about it and that's the challenge and it's quite amazing to see people who are so committed that they're willing to do that.
1: But how good are the people? Oh I fantastic mean, people. Like you wouldn't have met two nicer people than them and you know we've had oh, golfers on. And you, on you said, Smy, the other yeah, <laughs> other other sports we don't give we don't give a lot of time to, let's call. Like we don't get they don't get a lot of coverage and stuff. But the when you actually talk to them and they're fascinating and just great people, and you just realise how many good sports people we have in Tasmania is probably uh, haven't been unearthed yet. But I mean, as I said, James just talking about soccer, you could go, my God, when he starts talking offline about other sports and working with him and what he wants to do and where he's been, you go, My God, we've got people like that here from soccer. Soccer's in good hands when you've got people like him. Him sitting around. Imagine what it's going to be like when we get Michael Jordan on here and just
0: listen well, to I some of his. I I just got a tweet. <laughs> he said. He said. When are we uploading the latest? The latest <laughs> podcast because he's 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 gagging for it at the moment. Uh, so hopefully we can Keep working through his people. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we are committed to having the Premier on next time round. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, our no, Premier was a late withdrawal for this one. Um, he's busy at the moment, but he, did, he is actually looking forward to it. We've got some ripping questions. I've got a few questions we're going to throw on him about his past footy history. I've got a couple of good stories about him. I want to see if he can confirm or deny. So you guys come up with the, the smart questions. I'll come up with the stupid ones. <laughs> Maybe we
2: can do it outside, standing up, having a beer. What do you reckon? Oh. <laughs>
3: No comment Thanks as always for joining us We'll see you next time with the premiere We promise Subscribe and share with your friends And get it wherever you get your podcasts We'll see you in two weeks time This podcast is a Glitterball creative production